The Bible is coming under great attack today like never before. There are many reasons for this. One is a concern in this modern technological day in which we live. Can a 2,000-year-old book really be valuable and relevant for us today? Aren't the problems of society too complex for the answers that the scriptures provide? Well, this morning we are going to be talking about the significance of the Bible. And there are numerous doctrines or characteristics, if you will, that are associated with the topic of the Bible, such as the authority of the scriptures, the inerrancy of the scriptures, the sufficiency of the scriptures, the necessity of the scriptures, and I could go on. Most of those characteristics are actually alluded to in our text this morning. If you would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be focusing on verses 14 through 17 as we dealt with the preceding verses last week. And in verses 14 through 17, let me read them again. It says this, but as for you, uh, Paul is addressing Timothy and now saying to Timothy, don't worry about what everybody else is doing around you. Don't worry about these false teachers. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how that from a child, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The demand of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The theme this morning is that the scriptures are supremely valuable. The scriptures are supremely valuable. And we want to look at this passage to answer the question why. Why are the scriptures so supremely valuable? The first answer is that the scriptures are supremely valuable because they come to us from God. They come to us from God. That is what is the basis of the doctrine of authority. The scriptures have authority because they come to us from God. That's given to us in verse 16 of chapter 3. All scripture is, and the ESV translates this, breathed out by God. They are God-breathed. That is, they come from God. That is what is meant by the doctrine of inspiration. If uh, you have the King James, it reads, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Uh, also the NAS, all scripture is inspired by God. N.T. Wright writes as follows, and I quote, the early Christians believed, and this passage is one of the strong signs of this, that the reason the scriptures were alive was because God had breathed them in the first place. And the warmth and life that creative breath was still present and powerful. The word breathed in verse 16 is often translated inspired. And that word is originally from a Latin word, which means pretty much that, in breathe. But there are difficulties with the word inspired the way people use it today. We'd be better deal with them at once before seeing what Paul is actually saying here. First, Paul often spoke of artists 
excuse me. First, people often speak of artists and poets, composers and musical performers, and even sports professionals as being inspired. It was an inspired performance, we say, whether at a concert or a football game. What we mean is it had something out of the ordinary, or it seemed to come together and work in an entirely new way. Sometimes we mean that we felt inspired by it. It gave us a lift, a boost to the spirits. It was, in that sense, inspiring. The trouble with this meaning of inspired is that it doesn't begin to get near what Paul and other Christian writers meant when they talk about the scriptures being inspired. They mean what Paul literally says in verse 16. This thing, this book, has living breath in it, and it's the breath of God himself. End quote. As we think of this doc doctrine of inspiration or God breathe, what we really need to keep in mind is that what is being said is that the Bible is the creative act of God. When the scriptures use that term God breathe, it's referring to, to God's creative act. For example, Psalm 33, 6. By the word of God were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Genesis 2.7, referring to the creation of Adam. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. When the Bible says that it is God-breathed, it is simply saying it is the creative act of God. The Bible comes from God. The result is that when the Bible speaks... God speaks. This idea that the word of God comes from God stands in contrast to the false teaching which is attributed to demons. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. The result is that these demons because they are deceitful, those that are following them are themselves being deceived and deceiving others. 2 Timothy 3.13 While evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the false teachers are not following the word that comes from God. And as a result, they are being deceived. Because the Bible comes from God, who cannot lie... The scriptures are inerrant. That means without error. They are reliable. They are authoritative. They are useful. They are trustworthy. They are true. True. The word that is used most often in 2 Timothy to describe the word of God is the word true. Now, join with me in a little trip through 2 Timothy, just to remind you. First, the Bible is referred to as truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. If you look there, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's referring to the scriptures. That you are to give yourself to the to the scriptures, but notice how they're characterized. This word of truth. Secondly, to depart from the Bible's teaching 
is to depart from the truth. Notice verse 18 of chapter 2 concerning Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. They have deviated from the truth because they have deviated from the teaching of the scriptures. Third, to submit to the Bible's teaching is to accept the truth. Look at verse 25 of chapter 2. Uh, talking about the man of God and how he should conduct himself, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, leading to the acceptance of the truth, meaning the teaching of the word of God. To have failed to appropriate the teaching of the Bible is a failure to arrive at the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 7. Talking about these false teachers, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Never coming to a place of appropriating the scripture for themselves. Never submitting to that authority of the scriptures. Fifth, to fight against those who teach the Bible is to oppose the truth. 2 Timothy 3.8 Just as Johnes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. They oppose the teaching of the word of God. And then lastly, to refuse to listen to the Bible is to reject the truth. 2 Timothy 4.8, describing the last days, how many will turn away from listening to the truth, listening to the scriptures, listening to the Bible, and wander off into myths. So they reject the truth. They don't want to hear it. But time and time and time again, in the book of 2 Timothy, the Bible is being referred to as the truth. It's the truth. It is that which is reliable. It is trustworthy. It is truthful. So application, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. The entirety of scripture comes from the mouth of God. To read it is to hear him speak. It is therefore true and it therefore can be trusted. So the Bible is valuable because it comes from God. Secondly, the Bible is supremely valuable for it is extremely useful. The Bible is extremely valuable because it is extremely useful. Notice verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Profitable. That's the word from which I'm getting this point that the word of God is useful. It is useful. It is profitable. It is beneficial. It's valuable. I would point out that there are four prepositional phrases that modify profitable. Okay, So it's useful. In what way is it useful? Now we have four prepositional phrases. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for reproof. It's useful for correction. And it's useful for training in righteousness. Now these four prepositional phrases can be divided into two groups. They are couplets. The first group, or the first couplet, demonstrates that scriptures are supremely valuable in forming right beliefs, or what is referred to as orthodoxy. When we talk about orthodox, 
We're talking about what is right or true beliefs. Our belief system. Secondly, the scriptures are extremely valuable in formulated standards for right living. That's referred to as orthopraxy, orthodox practice, orthopraxy. So the Bible is valuable for right belief and valuable for teaching us about right conduct. For the last two prepositional phrases refer to this right conduct for correction and for training in righteousness. So let's look at these two groups in a little more detail. First, describe the Bible is supremely valuable in forming right beliefs or orthodoxy. The scriptures provide us what is necessary for the accurate instruction of the truth. That is what is meant by the word teaching in verse 16. The scriptures provide us with the authoritative understanding regarding God and salvation. Notice 2 Timothy 3.15. And how from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Through the scriptures, you come to know what is required for salvation, how one is going to be saved. And the scriptures are to be the source of what we preach and teach. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom, and now this, preach the word. The word is these scriptures, the word is the Bible. Because the Bible is useful, because the Bible is valuable, because the Bible is beneficial, then preach the word. Uh, that's going to be our message next Sunday. So I'm not going to go into that in great deal, detail. But we will look at that in detail next week when we get to chapter 4. The point is that the scriptures are valuable for teaching. Secondly, the scriptures also provide us with what is necessary to combat uh, heresy. They're not only for positive instruction, but they're also useful in combating heresy. That's found in verse 16 with the word reproof. All scripture is raised by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof. Reproof meaning the uh, rebuttal of false teaching. The scriptures provide us with the best material to combat false teaching. Again, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now that is how you combat the evils of this world. Do you correct it with the word of God? So the word of God is beneficial positively in teaching what is true. It's beneficial in the negative of correcting what is false in people's beliefs, in people's attitudes towards God. But not only is it beneficial in our belief system, but secondly, the scriptures are supremely valuable in providing us with what is necessary for right living. For right living, right conduct. 
Negatively, it corrects improper behavior. That's found in this word correction. Correction. As we read and study the Bible, it will reveal to us behaviors that are unacceptable and contrary to God's will. As we read the Bible, it provides us with the correction that is necessary to form right actions. Not just right beliefs, but now right behaviors. And it will point out that there are certain behaviors that are unacceptable, that are inappropriate, that need to be repented of, that, that need to be altered, need to be changed. Um, so it's valuable for correction. And positively, the scriptures educate us as to regarding righteous behavior. For notice the end of verse 16, it says for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. The Bible is valuable for the training in moral and ethical instruction. It is the Bible that teaches us right from wrong. It is the scripture that teaches us what is acceptable, what is unacceptable. What should be done, what should not be done. And further, the Bible instructs us as to how to perform the right and how to avoid the wrong. It not only tells us what is right and wrong, but it then also tells us how to do what is right and how to avoid what is wrong. Psalm 119, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Uh, blessed is the man who uh, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the seat of the, seat of the, uh, stands in the uh, seat of the scornful word. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the godly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Which leads us to the third, and which is actually the main point of this passage. And that is, the scriptures are supremely valuable, for they are all that we need in order to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God. Let me say that again. The scriptures are supremely valuable, for they are all that we need in order to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God. This is the doctrine of the sufficiency of the scriptures. The sufficiency of the scriptures. It comes from the end of verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, some translations say perfect. That doesn't mean morally perfect. It means perfect in the sense of complete. It means that, that if you are furnished with the scriptures, you have everything that you need to do the work that God has called you to do in the uh, proclamation of truth. The scriptures provide the tools necessary to accomplish the work of God. Having said that, I'm going to spend the rest of this morning in application. So what does all this mean to us in a practical sense? Well, first, the sufficiency of Scripture teaches us that the Word is powerful, convincing and self-evidencing. 
and thus can overcome the effects of sin and evil. So what do you do if someone rejects the premises that we just set forth? What do we do if someone rejects the idea that the Bible came from God? What do we do when we encounter people that say, well, the Bible's not true? What do we do when we, infi- we, we encounter people that say, well, that's not where we should look for moral authority. We shouldn't look to the Bible to ascertain what is right or what is wrong. Who is the Bible to tell us how we should behave ourselves or how to conduct ourselves? What do we do when people reject the scriptures, which is the primary focus of 2 Timothy. You have these false teachers that Timothy is coming in contact with. So Timothy, what are you to do about these false teachers? He began by saying these last weeks, avoid their false teaching. And now what he's going to say to to Timothy is, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, preach the word. Don't worry about it. There will become a time when people will not listen to false teachers. There will become a time when preaching the word is out of season. But he says to Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will keep unto themselves teachers having itching ears. The scriptures are self-evidencing, meaning they speak for themselves. What do we do when people reject the scriptures? Answer, give them the scriptures. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And how from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, notice these next words, for they're extremely important. Which are able, which means, that word able means powerful. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice that this isn't a simple statement that the scriptures provide us with truth concerning salvation. They do. They do. The scriptures provide us with the instruction necessary for a right understanding of salvation. But they do more than simply impart to us the correct understanding of salvation. They carry with it an empowerment to actually believe in what the scriptures teach concerning salvation. For it says that they're able to make you wise. And there the idea is not simply knowledgeable, They are not simply able to give you right understanding to teach you truth, although they certainly do, but they're able to not only make you knowledgeable, but they're able to make you wise. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What turns the person from the fool to the wise? Answer, it's the power of the word of God. Romans says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. 
that the Word of God actually imparts the faith. That in hearing that Word, the light goes on. That one becomes wise. One's eyes are opened. That the Word of God itself is self-evidencing. That proves its value. That proves its worth. Therefore, you preach the Word in season and out of season. Whether people wanted to hear it or you don't want to hear it, you continue to preach the word because that's what God uses. That's what is powerful. That is what is valuable. Hebrews puts it this way. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we read the Word of God, as we hear the Word of God, we come under conviction. Conviction is nothing more than agreeing with the Scriptures, in agreeing with the assessment of what the Bible says. So that when the Bible says that we are sinners, I read the Bible and I say, yes, that's true. I'm a sinner. And when I come to realize that I'm a sinner, and the scripture teaches that the way for the sinner to be forgiven is through faith in Christ, then I come to realize I need to place faith in Jesus Christ. It is that word that opens our hearts and minds. The psalmist said, I have more understanding than my teachers, because my delight is in your word. That the word brings understanding. We are limited. As teachers, we can't reach into the heart of an individual and create faith. We wish that we could, oftentimes in Sunday school, or perhaps even in your own witness with with friends, loved ones, children. You have wished that you could do more than simply teach. You wish that somehow you could impart faith, that you could actually change the hearts and minds of the listener. Mere teaching and instruction is incapable of doing that. But as you use the Word of God, the Word is capable. It not only provides us with the instruction, but it reaches into the heart and creates faith. Secondly, the sufficiency of Scriptures teach us that we do not need other sources of revelation to provide us with doctrinal truth or for instruction in life. The scriptures are sufficient. They are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You don't need any other source of revelation. Thus, a safeguard against false teachers of those who claim an additional authority. You need the Bible plus the writings of Mary Baker Eddy, or you need the Bible plus the Book of Mormon, or you need the Bible plus the teaching of the church, or you need the Bible plus, and there are all of these other sources of authority. The Bible is the supreme and final authority for faith and for conduct. It is the ultimate source of appeal. It is the word 
that teaches us what we need to know about God and what we need to do in our lives to please him. So we don't need these other, quote, sources of authority, unquote. Thirdly, the sufficiency of Scripture teaches us that godliness is to be be defined by living in keeping with the instructions of the Word of God. This is closely related to the second, but slightly different. Man-made rules are neither necessary, now let me add this, or beneficial in helping us live a life of godliness. Let me say it again. Man-made rules are neither necessary nor helpful in living a life of godliness. In the book of Matthew, Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Christ said to these Pharisees, You have taught instead the word of God, the word of men. Your ideas, your thoughts. The Pharisees were famous for their understanding that they wanted to put a a hedge around the scriptures. Their thought was that if you would go beyond what the scriptures teach, if you would demand more than what the scriptures demand, you would never break the scriptures. One such example goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember what God had said to Adam and Eve? What were they not allowed to do? Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But do you remember when Satan tempted Eve? Do you remember what Eve said? God said you may not eat or touch it. You know, I think that they came up with this great idea that we aren't going to touch it so that we don't eat it. If you don't touch it, you can't eat it. So they came up with this wonderful idea that we're not going to touch it or we're not going to eat it. But they equated that with what God said. That's not what God said. God said, don't eat it. But they said, let's not touch it nor eat it. They tried to put a hedge around it. That was the whole rabbinic idea of Phariseeism, and it comes down to us today. That people think, if we make extra rules, well then we'll keep people from going against the scriptures. If they don't break this rule, then they won't break the scriptures. Okay? If you can put up a boundary that says, there's a cliff coming, don't go over the cliff, well... Why not put a barricade 20 miles this side of the cliff so that if you don't go past the barricade, there's no way you can fall over the cliff? Sounds reasonable. But the book of Colossians says, why are you subject to such rules as touch not, taste not, handle not? Which have the appearance of wisdom. Sounds good. Sounds appropriate. But, it's not what the Word of God says. 
The word of God is sufficient. We don't need to add man-made rules to the word of God. In fact, not only is it not beneficial, it's harmful. Because as people break the rules and see nothing wrong with it, then it's extrapolated that there's nothing wrong with breaking the law, and there's everything wrong with that. So the sufficiency of Scripture teaches us that godliness is to be found by living in keeping with the instructions of the Word of God. Fourthly, the sufficiency of Scripture teaches us that believers who are eager to know the will of God should examine the Scriptures carefully and thoroughly. If you want to know God's will for your life, how are you going to find it out? If you want to know how God would want you to behave, how God would want you to react, how you are to respond to a particular situation in your life, where are you going to find that answer? What is going to be the source of the wisdom? Let me tell you what it should not be. It should not be asking yourself, what would Jesus do? That's purely subjective. And for most people, to answer the question, what would Jesus do, is simply saying, what would I do if I were Jesus? If our answer is, what would Jesus do, the answer is, he would obey the scriptures, then it's a good, it's a good answer. How do we find God's will for our life? It's the word of God. It's the faithful, study, diligent, looking into the word of God, which is our source, our direction of life. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children, that we may do the words of the law. He gave us his word as an instruction in righteousness so that we can find principles from the word of God to lead us and direct us. And then lastly, the sufficiency of Scripture reminds us that in our doctrinal and ethical teaching, we should emphasize what Scripture emphasizes and be content with what God has told us in the Scriptures. Everything that we need for life and godliness is in the Scriptures. Not everything, though, is in the Scriptures. Everything we need for life and godliness I'm not going to find out how to fix my Subaru by looking in the scriptures. That's not what the scriptures were given for. The scriptures were given to teach me about an instruction in life and godliness. Everything I need for that is in the scriptures. And I must content myself with the scriptures when we seek to answer questions about life and godliness, when we seek to find out what God does, why he does what he does, why he acts the way he acts, what is just, what is unjust, the answers to those things must come from the scriptures and the scriptures alone. And where the scriptures are silent, we must learn to be silent. Far too many Christians speculate on things that the Bible says nothing about. And unfortunately, they do so in an authoritative way. A preacher's authority does not rest in the preacher. The preacher's authority does not rest in his life. The preacher's authority 
rests solely in the authority of the scriptures. As the preacher preaches the scriptures, he preaches truth. When the preacher departs from the scriptures, he departs from the truth. So Paul says to Timothy as a precursor, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The flip side of that is so often people give up too early that it is difficult to search the scriptures, to exhaust the teaching of the word of God, to know the scriptures inside and out. And so many times people are at a loss to know how to live or or what decision to make because they don't really know the scriptures well enough. And they don't realize that the scriptures do in fact speak to the very decision that they are trying to make. And there's where godly counsel can be of, of great help. There's where other people who know the scriptures better can be a source of of great direction, can give us counsel on on right decisions and godly living. But it comes back again to the authority of the scriptures. So in conclusion, I simply say to you this morning is that we should have complete confidence in the word of God. And in that complete confidence, we should value the scriptures. We should look to the scriptures to answer those very important issues of our life. We need to understand that the scriptures are as relevant relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. The scriptures speak to our issues. They speak to our needs. There's been a lot of confusion lately because of the, the... wonderful advancements in technology. And I rejoice in the advancements of technology. I like technology, I use technology. I'm not putting technology down. And I'm saying it's great, and we've seen incredible advancements. Moving from the horse and buggy to the horseless carriage, to the car, to the automobile, to the truck, to airplanes, to outer space, it's incredible. The things that we have learned in science, history, the things that have made our lives better. But don't confuse the technological advances with moral advances. Though we have made great technological advances, we have the same old moral issues that have been with us for the time of Adam and Eve. We still struggle with poverty. We still struggle with oppression. We still find difficulties in husbands and wives getting along. We have made no moral advancements. We are not more righteous today than we were 100 years ago. We're more knowledgeable, and we can get things done, but we haven't found a way. to bring out real, moral, lasting change, which is at the very heart of the quality of our living, and which is at the very heart of right relationships and of wars that we're experiencing around this planet. It is the Bible and the Bible alone that gives us that moral direction which we need.
And our young people are adrift. And our society doesn't know what to do with homosexuality. Doesn't know what to do with people living together. If that's good or that's bad. If that's beneficial, that's harmful. Is that going to make a better marriage or a worse marriage? And you can read all kinds of points of views and attitudes. The only authoritative answer to these questions is found in the Word of God. And we need to give ourselves to it. And if we do, our lives will be better. If we do, our community will be better. If we do, our world will be better. You see, this is coming as an answer to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Know that in the last days perilous times will come. Why? For men will be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. These are moral decay and delinquencies. What's the answer to that? Timothy, preach the word. Timothy, continue in what you have learned. Continue in the word of God. The answer to our family's needs is the word of God. Give yourself to the scriptures. They're valuable. They come from God. They're true. They give us everything we need for right belief and right action. Let's pray. Our Father, help us, O God, to rejoice in this wonderful gift that you have given to us, that you have revealed to us Truth, you have given to us the scriptures. You have taught us about right belief and about right practice. Oh Lord, may we value that source of truth. Uh, Lord, may we give ourselves to the study, preaching, teaching of the word of God. May we never depart from it. May we not be attracted by myths. May we ever get to the place where we say, I don't want to hear this stuff anymore. But, oh Lord, may we delight in your word. And may we profit in such a way that, Lord, it's apparent to all. Thank you for the power and truthfulness of your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.